you are a, attending Redeemer in the middle of, well, actually at the end of our missions month. This is the final sermon um, that, that will be preached during missions month. And, and before I get into the message, I, I just want to stop for a moment. And I do want to um, just acknowledge what a great month this has been for me. I hope it has been a good month for you, but it has been a really great month for me. It's been a fantastic time to, to, to spend in prayer and in worship and in study and, and just reflecting on, on what God is doing in this world. Reflecting on, on the fact that all throughout the history of the world, there is a plan that God has to bring about salvation, to build a kingdom, and, and to spend the time realizing that, that my life is a part of that plan but to also realize that there is this great thing that's going beyond just my life, that there is this thing that the Lord is accomplishing that, that is greater than any one of us, and, and we get the privilege, we get the honor of being able to participate in it with God. And it's such, just such an amazing time to, to sit and, and to think about those things. Um, I, I do want to take a moment, I want to thank the missions team, and I want to thank all of the people that have been involved in helping um, structure this month, helping prepare for this month. Um, a lot of people have talked about how it seems like everything is going forward effortlessly. Um, I learned a long time ago that if everything seems to be going easily, that's typically because a lot of people have worked very hard to make it appear that way. Uh, and the truth is, this has taken a lot of work, a lot of time in, in writing prayer guides, uh, uh, evenings given up to be able to lead times of prayer, uh, people spending times developing graphics and images, sermons being prepped. Um, these videos that we've had each week take a lot of time and effort to go into it. And, and all of the people that have been a part of that, I, I just want to thank them um, and also, I just think it's a really great testimony of the way that the Lord uses the church, how he brings uh, people's passions and desires and their giftings together and is able to use them in order to encourage and edify and build up the church at large. So those of you that have been a part of that, uh, I just want to thank you so much. For those of you that have committed time to pray with us, um, to, to, to study and, and invest in this time, I want to thank you guys as well. Um, the, the theme of this month has been that our God is unstoppable. You know, looking at this past year and reflecting on the fact that it's amazing uh, how one tiny little virus has the ability to apparently make the world stop spinning, that it has the ability to shut down so much of our lives, it's it's an excellent reminder of the fact that our, our world is a lot more delicate and fragile than we would like to remember. But in reflecting in the way that God has worked during this time, it has been an awesome time to remind ourselves that there is nothing that stops the work of God. There's nothing that stops the plans of God, that they move forward, and that there is nothing that's able to prevent them from moving forward. And each week we've had a, a teaching that has been presented to us that's helped us understand a bit of the way that the Lord is working. And in the very first week, Jamie preached from Acts 1, and he focused on the Spirit and how the, before the church was sent out on its work, on, in its mission, 
They were told, remain in this place until the Spirit comes upon you, and when the Spirit comes, he will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right from the beginning, it was understood that this work is is not our work. It is a work of God that we join with him in. The other thing that we're reminded of is just simply this, is that if any of us have the Spirit, then we're a part of the work. The work is not set apart for just a few, but it is the work of all that have the Spirit of God within us. Then the next week, uh, in recognizing that the Spirit was empowering the gospel to be spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the next week Austin preached about the gospel being made accessible to an unexpected people. The gospel being opened up into the Gentile world. And in realizing this, we realize that oftentimes the work that the Lord has intended doesn't always play out in the way that we think that it would play out. Austin reminded us of the fact that at that time, Jewish Christians probably would have never considered Gentiles as being a population where the gospel would go, but the Spirit reminded the people that's exactly where it was going, that the gospel was opened up to the entirety of the world. It was there for everybody. In fact, he reminded them that was his plan from creation, from the beginning of time, was that every tribe and tongue and nation would know him. Um, We were reminded during that sermon of just a simple fact is that we should never call anyone unclean that the Lord has declared clean. We, we have to be cautious to never allow ourselves to think that there is anybody in this world that's beyond the reach of the gospel. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God within us has the ability to reach whoever God is calling to himself. And last week we learned that the means by which the Lord is advancing his kingdom is empowered by the Spirit, but the means by which he does it is, is through the establishment of the local church. The, the phrase was stated that the church is God's plan A, there is no plan B. This is the way that, that Jesus is, is working these things out. And today, Austin reminded us of the fact that we are participants in this work of God, we're participants in this mission, but the end game has already been determined. You know, we're, we're, we're participating in something, and this is what I love about this, is we're participating in something that we cannot fail at. Austin read this morning about a scene in Revelation in which the Lamb is being worshipped by every tribe and every tongue and every nation. All of the world gets to be represented in front of the throne. So we realize that we embark in this mission. When we participate with God in this great work, we're participating in something that we know is going to take place. So this brings us to this message that we're dealing with today. It was how do we end missions month? And of course, my immediate temptation is, is I want to come up and I want to encourage all of you guys to push on to the nations. And I do want to encourage all of you guys to push on to the nations because I think that's where scripture leads us is God's calling to the nations. But I also think that that's a message that this church already understands and believes. I don't think I have to convince anyone here that we should have an eye for the nations. The other thing is I want to encourage people, I want to encourage people to consider their own calling. And that's where we're really going to land today, but this is difficult because whenever I ask people to consider their own calling, I, I kind of give up the ability to speak with a lot of authority. 
Because at the end of the day, I can, I can very clearly tell you this is what the Spirit does, and if you have the Spirit, then this is what we need to understand about how the Spirit is working in the world. I can very clearly tell you that the gospel has been made available to, in the, to the entirety of the world. I can very clearly tell you that the means by which the gospel is going to spread to the world is through the church, but what I cannot definitively tell you is what you as an individual will have to do with that. The only thing that I can do is I can, I can lead you to the Holy Spirit and trust that it is the Spirit empowering us to do that work and ask you, will you consider what the Spirit's doing? Now, that's a confusing thing to ask people, and I'm going to start off with this interaction that Jesus has as he's early in his ministry, he's teaching and he's going on, he's beginning to do these miracles, these signs and wonders and while he's doing these things, he has this encounter with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, being a teacher of the law, a religious leader, recognizes that Jesus is clearly from God. Nobody could do the things that Jesus did if he were not with God. So he goes to them in the middle of the night and he just says, Rabbi, Rabbi, you are clearly, clearly a man of God. And, and Jesus res responds to that by just simply saying, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless a person is born again, that they will not see the kingdom of God. I want to make something very clear. <clears throat> Jesus never misspeaks. But on more than one occasion, <laughs> I wish he would have been a bit clearer. <laughs> All right? I don't know if you've ever had that moment where the, you, you read something in Scripture and you're like, Lord, I have no clue what you're saying here. And after reading it, I feel like I'm more confused than I was before that I read, before I read it. And that doesn't help when you get to other parables where Jesus speaks these parables and he says these things and they're confusing and the disciples come back and they're like, Jesus, that was a little bit confusing. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, I was intending to be confusing. I specifically said it so they wouldn't understand. <laughs> I'm like, ah, you know, again, the word of God is right in all that it says, but there are a couple times that I've thought, like, Jesus, you need a little bit of help with your communication skills, all right? That's arrogance, and I understand that. But as, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he presents this idea of being born again, Nicodemus is so confused, he doesn't get it. And I don't blame him for not getting it. I don't think I would have gotten it if I were, were, were Nicodemus. But Jesus makes it clear, here's the deal, what's flesh is flesh, and what spirit is spirit. And unless you're born of water and spirit, you, you, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And I think he's referring back to Ezekiel. I'm just simply saying, hey, there is a birth that is of flesh, and that is to all of us, but there is a birth that's of water and in spirit. And I think Jesus, what is saying is, is there is a birth that comes that cleanses us of all unrighteousness, that cleanses us of all sinfulness, of all unholiness. And, and along with that cleansing comes a giving of the Holy Spirit, and that giving of the Holy Spirit brings new life. I think that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. And in if, as if this were not confusing enough, he then goes on to say, Nicodemus, consider the wind. So when you see it blows, you can see its effect. You can feel it. But you don't know where it came from, and you don't know where it's going. And I tell you, this is what it's like to be a believer. Man, that, that really messes with me. For a long time, that passage has really messed with me. Of This is what it's like to follow Christ. 
is your life kind of becomes like the wind. And in, in the moment, you can see all of the evidences of God's work in your life, but sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint how I got where I am and where I'm going next. But I think, and I'm convinced by the scriptures, that it's, it's in the pursuit of this spirit that we begin to understand how do we begin to live out our calling? How do we join in what the, what the Lord is doing in this world? Now, I chose this passage from Acts 20 as a passage to focus on today simply because of the fact that I think that Paul's interaction with the church here at Ephesus gives us a really good example of what it looks like to be led in the Spirit. And at the end of this message today, I can firmly say that there will not be anything where I'll be able to say that this is what's expected of every single one of you. But what I'm hoping is that at the end of this passage, we will see modeled for us in the interactions between Paul and the church of Ephesus, we will see modeled for us ways in which we can live our lives so that when the Spirit moves us, we're prepared for it. We're ready for it. So the title of this sermon, which I've actually changed from the first service, (laughs) don't tell anybody, the title of this sermon is Fixing Our Eyes Beyond the Nations. Now, it's a weird thing to preach from whenever you're focusing on international missions, but the reason I'm I'm on this idea of fixing our eyes beyond the nations is because I think that the example that the Spirit gives us through the life of Paul is simply this, the nations were always on Paul's mind. The nations were always on Paul's mind. From the very beginning, he understood that he was given the gift to go to the Gentile world. And as he's pursuing that gift, he's moving throughout the known world and he's pursuing Asia and he's pursuing Macedonia or modern day Greece. And as he goes further, he sets his eyes on Rome and not just Rome, but as he's interacting with the Romans, he's like, look, I wanna come to you, but my eyes are even for Spain like Paul, as he's, as he's planning for his ministry, the nations are always on his mind. But the reason I say that we need to fix our eyes beyond the nations is I don't think that Paul's focus was on the nations simply because he loved the nations. I think his focus was on the nations because he loved God, he loved Jesus, and his love for Jesus shaped the way that he loved the world around him. It's a truth that we have to understand is that the things that we love and the things that we worship shape us. They change us. And the deeper that Paul fell in love with the Jesus of Scripture, the more his heart was bent towards the things that that Jesus loved. So my challenge for us today as we think about our own calling, my challenge for us today is that we would fix our eyes on Christ, firmly on Christ, and that we would trust in whatever way he moves us that he's moving us rightly. Now, in this passage, whenever he approaches the church of Ephesus, let's build some context first. Paul tried twice to plant a church in Ephesus. The first time was on his second missionary journey, and he failed miserably. 
So he landed in Ephesus, and he goes, and he preaches, and he preaches, and there's absolutely no response. And at some point, he finally is like, hey, guys, I've got to move on. I may come back. I may not. But he leaves. Well, in his third missionary journey, as he's making his way, trying to get towards Rome, he goes to Ephesus as kind of like a launching place for him to leave Asia and go on into what's now known as Greece. But as he gets to Ephesus, things have changed. Like he gets to this city where he's already had a failed attempt and he starts preaching the gospel and people start responding. And then all of a sudden, what starts off as, hey, I'm just going back here to visit with these people for a short period of time, turns into Paul relocating his life for about two to three years with Ephesus. And I think that the way that we see this interaction is that he plants this church, he pours into this church, he disciples these leaders, and then eventually he leaves them to go to Rome. And on his way to Rome, he gets sidetracked and redirected back to Jerusalem. And in this encounter, we have this moment where Paul is coming back and he's saying, hey guys, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but before I go, I wanna meet with you one more time. I wanna speak to you one more time. Come and meet with me before I go to Jerusalem. And in this last interaction, we get to learn a lot of, of how Paul engaged in missions, the expectations that he set for the church. And I, I think what we get to learn from this passage is, is, is as a church, how should we live our lives? How should we direct our lives so that we can, we can engage firmly in what the Lord is doing as individuals? How do we live our lives so that we're prepared for how the Spirit might move us and direct us? And then on top of it, as supporters of missionaries, how can we understand how their lives are lived in such a way that help us encourage them and support them better? All right, so let's look at the interactions. There's three main things that I pull from this text, and, and I, as you follow with me, I hope that you're gonna get them as well. The first one is this. Wherever you are, be all there. I think this is an example that Paul set with the Ephesians church, is wherever you are, be all there. See, Paul had a lot of plans for his ministry. He had a lot of aspirations and desires for where he wanted to go with the gospel. But in multiple occasions, what we see is that the Spirit would redirect his plans. And in oftentimes, Paul would end up in a location that he never intended to go but one of the things that we see consistently with Paul is that wherever the Lord placed him, he was there wholly. Even if the Lord put him in a place for a few days or a few weeks or a few months or a few years, however, the Lord, however long the Lord put him in a place, he genuinely thought this is what the Lord has done, so I'm going to invest myself entirely. So look at the way that he interacts with them. In, in verse 18, it says, when the Ephesian elders, when they came to him, Paul said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And later in verse 26, he goes on, he says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now Paul loved the elders of Ephesus, and the, the elders of Ephesus really loved Paul. Right? We see this because they're crying at the idea of the fact that they may not see each other after this. 
But for some reason, Paul wants to make it clear, hey guys, when I leave you, love you guys, but when I leave you, I'm innocent of your blood. That's a weird way to leave people that you love. Like it's kind of odd to think, man, I really love you a lot. I've invested you in a lot. When I leave, just know whatever wrong you do, it's on you, not on me. <laughs> like it's kind of strange, but I genuinely think that this is Paul's way of, of informing the elders. I don't think he's saying, hey, it's on you. I think what he's saying is, hey, when I was with you, I held nothing back. And he makes it clear, he says, anything that the Lord gave to me that was profitable for you, I shared it with you. I didn't let hardship, I didn't let persecution hold me back. Anything that the Lord gave me, the entirety of the wisdom of God that he had given to me, I made sure that you had all of it. Guys, I never intended to be in Ephesus in the first place, but when the Lord brought me here, I knew that this is where I was going to be, so I gave it all I had. I think the first lesson that we draw from this is wherever we are, we have to be there wholly. We have to be there entirely. Those that serve on the missionary or mission field are really aware of this because you realize that sometimes you only get short spurts to be in the places that you're trying to reach. Or sometimes you dedicate large portions of your life to try to get to a location only to be relocated somewhere else. You learn very quickly that I don't have as much control over my life as I think that I do, so I have to take advantage of whatever moments the Lord gives me in these locations. But as I think that this plays out in all of our lives, I'd be willing to bet that all of us have had moments where the Lord put us in a place that we never expected to go where we were planning one thing for our lives and, and, and then without reason or without rhyme or anything that makes sense to our own planning, the Lord just redirects us and puts us in a new location. And I think the temptations of those moments is to genuinely think, I'm just here in transition. My goal is there, I'm just here in transition. And I think that the example that Paul is trying to set forth is there is no part of your life that is only a transition. Wherever the Spirit places you, he places you there for a reason. So if you want to be prepared in how to follow the Spirit, whatever he may call you to do, then wherever he has you, be there wholly. Be there entirely. Now, there's wisdom to be said in setting healthy boundaries. You know, there's wisdom to be said that, hey, you know, when you're a member of a church, you can't, you can't do everything all the time. There's wisdom to be said to use the giftings that the Lord is giving you and, and to make sure that you're resting properly and, and, and make sure that you're being fed while you're feeding other people. But here's the thing that I want to encourage you. Redeemer Church, if you're here, you're here for a reason. And this might not be your final destination. This might not be the last place that you're going. But the best way to be prepared for what the Spirit has for you next is to be where he has you now entirely. High school students, pay close attention to that. You're going to college soon. College is not a stopover. It's a destination for a period. Be there. The second point that I think Paul sets up for us is this. is I think Paul teaches us to hold loosely to the temporal. Hold loose to the temporal. See, Paul held most of the things of his life. He held them very loosely. There were a few examples that we can see played out in this. In this text alone, we know that Paul held his own plans very loosely. Okay, Paul had a five-year plan from life. He had, you know, 
goals and aspirations. He had vision and where he was going, but he held those very loosely. He held his finances very loosely. This one hurts me the most. He held his relationships very loosely. Paul in this even communicates that his own life, his own safety, his own physical well-being, he holds them loosely. Uh, Listen to the way that he talks about this. He says, now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. But I expect that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not count my life as any value or as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone and about, about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Later he goes on and he says, look, when I was with you, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know yourselves that these hands ministered to my own necessities and to those that were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul realized that anything in his life that was not eternal was to be held extremely loosely. Now, that wasn't to say that the things that were not eternal were bad. It's just simply to say that every aspect of his life, he realized that all of this must be given over to the stewardship and management of the Lord. And that whatever the Lord was going to call him to do with those things, he had to be willing to give those things over. And we see it in the way that he plans his life out. Paul had goals to go to Rome, had goals to go to Spain. When he writes the book of Rome, he writes to the Romans telling them, guys, I can't wait to be among you to teach you all of the things that the Lord has taught me and to be encouraged by your own faith. When he goes, he has these desires of how he wants to interact with them. And at the time, there's no indication that Paul realized that the way that he was going to go to Rome was in chains as a prisoner. Well, at this point in Ephesus, when he's writing to the church, he's been made aware of that. He's like, look, I, I want to go to Rome, but for some reason the Spirit has redirected me to Jerusalem, and I don't know what he's going to do to me. I don't know what he's got planned for me. Whatever he has planned for me, I do know this. It seems to me like no matter where I go, the only things waiting for me are persecution and chains, imprisonment. And Paul looks at that and very, very honestly is able to reflect and say, this is not the plan that I had for my life, but let your will be done. I mean, look at it in his own personal career even. Paul was a scholar. (laughs) You know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. His entire career was lost the moment he believed in Christ. Gone. Or at least the career that he, how he understood it. Paul was a tent maker, which that seems like a humble profession. Like it seems like a just kind of a humble way of working your way through life. But if you think about a world in which a large population of people live in tents, that's pretty lucrative. You know, there's a way that Paul could have sat back and said, hey, look, man, I can find a place. I can settle down. I can build some tents, make some tents, you know, put together my 401k and that's all good. And that's not a bad thing. Those are not bad things. But the Spirit had called him beyond that. And he realized, hey, even my, my own skill set, even my finances, even my, my career, I submit to the Lord and whatever the Lord is going to do with those things, I have to hold them loosely. The one that hits me the hardest is relationships. 
I love the community of God. And here we get this example, Paul, who in most places he went was not well received. But in, in Ephesus, he builds this church. I want to say he, God builds this church using Paul. This is amazing community. These people loved each other. I mean, this is the church that all of us hope that we would find. Hopefully, you're finding this here in Redeemer. This was a community of people that desperately loved one another. And Paul, after getting to experience all of the grace that comes in living this community of God, eventually hits this point where he realizes that the Spirit is moving me beyond this. And he realizes even the things that I love about the church, I have to trust to the stewardship of God. I can't hold on to them tightly. Now, again, when you think about your skills, your finances, when you think about your plans, when you think about your community, when you think about all of these things, I want to make it very clear. I'm not saying that there is any one way that all of us should manage these things. I'm just simply saying that I think the example that, that Scripture sets out for us is this. We don't always know what the Spirit of God is going to do in our lives. And in order for us to be able to engage in that fully, we have to hold these temporal things very loosely. And then the final point that I want to make this is I think Paul sets the example that we have to hold fast to the things that are eternal. So as he's getting ready to lead the church, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's speaking to the elders of the church. He says, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, fierce wolves will come in among you. They will not spare the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish or to warn you or to teach you, even with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. So here's the thing that Paul had learned was very consistent in his life, is that everywhere the Spirit took him and everywhere where the Spirit was working, surely there were going to be people that followed after to disrupt it, to challenge it. And Paul has invested years of his life with this church, and he's, he's taught them what it looks like to be committed wholeheartedly wherever you are. He taught them what it looks like to hold loosely to the temporal things of this world. And now he's reminding them of how important it is for them to hold fast to the only thing in their lives that's sure and certain, to hold fast to God and to the words of grace, to hold fast to the gospel and the gospel only. And he said, just know, guys, I'm leaving. And when I leave, the wolves are coming. Even there will be people that come up from among your own congregation that are going to twist the words of truth. And I'm telling you, the only thing I can do is commend you or give you over to God and the word because those are the only things certain enough to keep you in this time. Paul was so confident in this when he wrote to the Galatians. He said this, hey, guys, the gospel that I preach to you Hold fast to the gospel that I preach to you. Do not give up the gospel that I preach to you. For even if an angel from God or I myself come to you with another gospel, let us be accursed. 
Paul is saying, hold firmly, hold so firmly to the eternal things so that you will not be, so that you will not be ravaged by the wolves when they come, so that you will not be led by false teachings. Now, just a couple of points of clarity I do want to make out is as a church, we are to be concerned about wolves that may come. We are even to be concerned about sheep or about wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing. But the way that we protect ourselves from the wolves, the way that we protect ourselves from being led astray is not by constantly standing in defense of the wolves. It's by pouring ourselves entirely into what is certain in the gospel. We defend ourselves against the the wolves, certainly, but we do that through the word of God. The other thing that I wanna be careful of is I wanna be careful that as a church, we never become so scared of the wolves that we turn other sheep into wolves. We don't devour our own. We stand firm on the word of God. And how does this apply to a message text? How do I wrap this up? Well, here's the thing. You've been challenged all month long to participate in the work of God, and the only way to participate that is to follow Jesus Christ and to follow the empowering spirit that he's placed within you. How does the spirit lead you? I have no clue. I don't know where he's brought you from, and I don't know where he's going to take you, but the truth be told is, is when he's working in your lives, it's clearly evident. It's evident. So I don't know how to tell you how to follow the Spirit, but these are the things that I can tell you. The example that's laid out for us in the church is simply this. Wherever the Spirit has you, be there entirely. Whatever things that you possess in the world that are not eternal, hold them loosely. And whatever the things the Lord has given you that are eternal, hold fast to them Hold fast to them, and if we do those things, if we practice those things as a church and as individuals, I genuinely think that we will be prepared to go wherever the Lord calls us to go, and not only will we be prepared, but we'll arrive there as a benefit to the people that we've come to love and to serve. Just to drive home this point, when Paul established churches and he talked to them about the most important things that he ever wished for them to understand, we see what he says to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Corinth. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men or in my wisdom, but so that your faith would rest in the power of God and God alone. When Paul writes to the Philippian church, he writes this way. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for your sake or for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I've counted them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Church, when we think about the mission of God, our eyes have to be fixed Beyond the nations, our eyes have to be fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to let the Spirit mold and shape our hearts and prepare us for whatever work that he has called us to. But my challenge to you is this, hold fast to Christ. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much, and I'm so grateful for you. I just cannot imagine a time in which, which I would ever be able to say that I deserve your love or I deserve your attention, but I'm so grateful for the fact that you love us anyways. I'm so grateful for the fact that you, you relentlessly pursue us, Lord, and I just pray that as a church, as Redeemer Church, as we follow you, Lord, Lord, that we would be sensitive of your spirit, we would be sensitive of your work. Lord, that we would submit ourselves wholly to you, Lord. And Lord, that at the end, we would be able to celebrate with you in all things. Amen.